Welcome, everybody, to another edition of This Week in Legal Blogging, presented by LexBlog. I am Bob Ambrogi, and uh, I am uh, the author of my own blog, Law Sites, and I also host a legal podcast called Law Next. This is uh, number eight in our series of interviews with legal bloggers. Uh, we had a great interview last week with Angelo Paparelli, and next week we're going to be back with Jeff Nowak, author of FMLA Insights. You can find all of these on uh, youtube.com slash lexblog. And today I am very happy to have the author of the blog, The Social Media Butterfly, Stephanie Marone. Stephanie, how are you doing today? I'm great, Bob. And I wonder, is this the very first time that you've also had a special dog guest? Because I mentioned I, I have a very high-maintenance puppy who's sitting on my lap <laughs> right now. <laughs> I'm not sure. It, I'm not sure this is the first dog guest we, we've had. We've had uh, various uh, uh, cameos uh, from pets and, and other uh, family members, I think. But yeah, we're let, introduce your introduce your special dog yeah, guest. So. Those of you who follow my blog know that my beloved French bulldog, Charlie, passed away in June, and I simply cannot be without a dog, specifically a Frenchie. Um, they are the most ridiculously funny and amazing dogs in the world. So this is Lucy, everyone. She's sleeping. She's not happy that I just woke Lucy. her up. But um, yeah, so everyone meet Lucy. She is uh, definitely keeping me busy and she demands to sit on my lap when she's not demanding that I play with her. So I essentially work to um, finance her extravagant lifestyle, Bob. Well, that's good. And I'm sure Lucy, you're, you're in New York, right? I, I am. Are in you New able York. to get out with Lucy and take Lucy? Yeah. Out so yeah. And if you should hear a siren, I mean, I have all my windows shut, but that's just Manhattan. I, I It happened to me. Also last week, there was some crazy tropical storm and I was giving a presentation to 50 lawyers yeah. <laughs> during the exact time of that yeah. storm. And my window blew open, a painting fell down and I just kept going, you know, cause it's, it's, Cause that's what you just do. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been able to escape the city. Luckily I have family and friends in New Jersey and Connecticut. So it's been nice to have some fresh air, but I'm still a believer in New York and I'm a lifelong New Yorker. So I'm not giving up on this place and it's, it's gotten better. You know, it's yeah. just, we, yeah. you know, COVID is under control. Knock on wood here. Right. People are yeah. very serious about mask wearing and adhering to all of the rules, but we, you know, I live in a 25 story building. There are a lot of people everywhere. I'm shocked we're able to keep it where it is and thankful yeah. that people are very responsible. Yeah, that's great. I, I miss New York. I don't think I've been to New York. Well, I have not been to New York since legal week. I think that was the last time. What was that? January, February? Yeah. Like, I don't think I've ever gone this long without getting to New York at some point. So it's killing whole, me. I love it. The whole conference circuit, like, you know, it's just, it's such an extraordinary year, right. you know, when right. it's, um, yeah. everything. I mean, everything. Yeah. I can't believe it's August. Also, know, yeah, the Legal Marketing Association was kind of the last holdout. They were, they still seem to be still holding out hope that they were going to have an in-person conference uh, until finally throwing in the towel recently. Yeah, it's too bad. Yeah. So, uh, so Stephanie. For the one person watching this who doesn't know who you are and what you do, let's start there. Who are you and what do you do? 
Sure. So I've been in legal marketing for about 20 years. This isn't what I set out originally to do. I wanted to be a magazine editor, Bob, and that's what I did for three years out of college. I worked at Redbook Magazine and I wrote um, a health column and a marriage column. I knew nothing about either of those subjects. I also wrote the horoscopes, Bob, and I am not an astrologer. Um, so this, this this should make people a Great little bit Great training for blogging is, you know, writing about yeah, stuff you don't know yeah. anything about. I think it's going to be a lucky month for you, actually, and <laughs> that money is headed your way. So I always wanted to be a writer. I went to NYU for, I, I was a history and art history major. And my dad would say all the time, why, why are we, why are we paying for you to major in, in history? And I was like, well, these are great liberal arts skills dad, I can take with me into the future. And so I loved, I loved it. And I, I loved being a writer at Red Book, but it was a lot of like grunt work, like, and it was a lot of mean girl stuff. And I lasted three years. I made no money whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. And at night, so during college and at night, <laughs> I moonlit at a uh, private equity fund because again, I barely could make my rent working at a magazine and the private equity fund paid a lot of money for a nighttime receptionist. Okay. So I, um, they were using Paul Weiss as their lawyers. And eventually Paul Weiss was looking for an in-house writer editor and someone to start their alumni relations program. And I was like, I, I don't want to do this. And then they told me the salary and I was like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll do this for like a year. And fast forward five and a half years later, I loved it. And I met my mentor there who was the CMO, who then took me with her to another firm and then another firm and another firm. And I went up working for her at four different firms and I loved it. So uh, I went who on. Who was that? Can I ask? Yeah. Her name is Wendy Bernero and she's now the global CMO at Baker McKenzie. And so I, I worked with her also at a little firm called McKee Nelson, which then went under during the financial crisis. She helped me get a job at Sullivan and Cromwell. And I ran their communications for three years, which is like 10 years in Sullivan and Cromwell years. I went to Mayor Brown thinking I wanted to work for a global firm and I didn't. I went to MoFo. Um, then I went to Proskauer and to work for Wendy again. And then Wendy and Eric Press started their own consulting firm and I yeah. went to work for them. Yeah. And soon after, I wound up getting this great opportunity to go to a mid-sized firm and be their head of marketing. And I did that for three and a half years and I loved it. And then last year, just decided my life was shaken up in a lot of ways and decided I needed to shake it up and decided to start my own business. And so I started the blog. We can talk about the blog later, but while I was working at Targa Krinsky and now I'm um, consultant to law firms and also serve as CMO to a couple of small law firms that don't have necessarily the budget or the need for someone full time. And then I also manage all the content social for a number of firms of all sizes. So like an outsourced CMO is what you do for law firms. Yeah, yes. And then also not just for law firms. Um, I work for an accounting firm. I work for a major shoe company also. Oh. And then individuals and help manage all their like LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, um, you know, everything. Yeah. As well. Yeah. My, so I was nervous in the beginning of the pandemic thinking like, oh gosh, this is not a good time to have my own business. But when everyone realized that social was going to be the way in which the primary way in which we were going to communicate, 
Mike, luckily I've been pretty busy. Yeah, yeah. But well, we have a lot of degrees of connections, and in that story you just told, I know a lot of you know I know a lot of the people that you've worked with, and Eric Press and I worked together at ALM uh, many yeah. years ago, uh, way back when, and he's uh, one of the one of the greatest people uh, in the world uh, to work with and, and to know uh, personally as well. Yeah. So yes, I agree. Um, so uh, yeah, so let's talk about your blog a little bit, um, and. But, so here, my first question may seem unusual, but I, I love the name of your blog, The Social Media Butterfly. And I wondered, <laughs> did it just like come to you or did you put a lot of work and effort into coming up with the right name for your blog? Okay, so the name is interesting. So Kevin O'Keefe, who um, I guess runs Lux Blog, had approached we me. We all guess he lens one runs like we're not sure. Yeah, but we, we think, think so, <laughs> you know. So Kevin had approached me and said, Steph, I want you to have a blog. And I said, Oh, whatever, I don't have anything to say. He's like, Yes, you do. And he I was like, finally, I was like, okay. He's like, we have to come up with a name for it. Tossing out names and whatever. Came up with a couple of ideas. And then this one was like, I was like, I have the greatest idea. And he was like, what is it? And I was like, the social. And then I put in parentheses, media butterfly. And he was like, that's it. That's it. And I was like, yes, it is. So it was sort of like a collaboration because we had come up with a few other names. I was nervous that it was going to pigeonhole me into just being a social media person. And a lot of people think of me that way, but I couldn't not take it because I am very social, very outgoing. And then I do do social. So it really is the right name for a blog for me. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's perfect. Were, were alcoholic beverages involved in this process or was this? No, they weren't. <laughs> but you know, what's funny. Like there is, I, I wish I, I wish I had it. It's somewhere in my kitchen. Somebody sent me, I forgot who it was, someone in the legal marketing industry when it launched, there was a, they sent me a wine glass that said social butterfly on it. Congratulations on the launch of your blog, which I thought was so nice. Yeah, that's nice. So, um, uh, this is, uh, jumping off. Well, it's not jumping off a little bit. I just given, given what you just went, what you just described, do you think in when you're counseling legal professionals or professionals anywhere else about blogs, about social media. Do you think the name of the blog matters much? Do you? Yeah, I do. I mean, so I have worked at many law firms and that had multiple blogs. And sometimes I feel like they, they go too generic. And sometimes I feel like they go too niche and too like inside baseball, right? Like, you know, I can't tell you how many lawyers have tried to use like movie titles or like Game of Thrones references, even when they're writing a blog, but like they try to get too, too cute almost. Um, and then they'll also try to buy like the name of like, and I don't think this is necessarily a good thing, or maybe it is, but like a general term, like healthcarelaw.com, like, okay, maybe that's good for search results, but you know, it's very broad. So I think it does matter. I mean, I think that you want to resonate with people. You want to find the fine, you want to find a balance between the two, like something that is appealing to a lot of people, but also is unique. So I think there's, there's a happy medium between the two. Um, so I, you know, I think a name has to be something you really 
well, you know, well thought out and planned and you go through a number of names. I've done this so many times and I've been vetoed too. I mean, at the end of the day, a lawyer will likely have final say. Yeah. So, so other than Kevin telling you, you really ought to have a blog. What, what were your goals personally? Why, why did you start a blog? What did you hope to do with it or achieve with it? Well, I was writing a lot of content and being a right, like, you know, again, being a magazine editor and like writing, I was publishing a lot for JD Supra. I had published a lot in New York Law Journal. I was putting a lot of stuff also on LinkedIn publisher and then posts. And they were sort of all over the place. Right. So Kevin would see my posts and he would say, this is such good stuff, but like, you're not, they're all, they're all over the place. You need one place where people can find everything and then you can repurpose from there. So the, I, and he said, I think you're going to have a following if you, if you have it in one place. And then also obviously from like a search engine optimization perspective, I wanted people to be able to, to find me easily as well. The blog actually turned into what is now my website. At some point I'll probably need to have my own website, but I've been using it for both. Um, so, so that's been great. And actually, Bob, I don't know if you know this, but I've gotten clients from the blog. So I, you know, from just writing, people seeing it, people hearing about it, reading an article, which has been terrific. Somebody saying, you know, or Googling me and checking it out and saying, okay, she knows her stuff. So I can't, I don't know that I would be any better of a spokesperson for why you should have a blog of the fact that, you know, obviously I need to sell myself at some point and like sound reputable, but the blog has been a great way for me to get my foot in the door to show that I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I mean, did that surprise you or were you expecting that that would happen? No, it didn't surprise me. It confirmed again, that thought leadership and having opinions and writing about substantive things does really make a difference. And the importance of content in terms of leading to new business. Like I had been telling lawyers this for years, right. but I can now say that this actually works in a different industry, you know, tangentially related, but lawyers hire me based on what I'm writing. So I can't see why another, why a buyer of legal services wouldn't hire a lawyer based on what they're writing about. So, I, and I will tell you, I've never seen content for lawyers lead to new business or new business opportunities or a CLE opportunity or something more than I have in the last couple of years as well. Yeah. It's, it's been really interesting doing this series because we all talk about the idea that blogs can lead to business for lawyers. Um, certainly Kevin talks about it all the time and I, I talk about it too and I believe it. But as I say, you're number eight. The first seven guests we're all lawyers with blogs who all swore by the fact that it did wonders for their business in terms of bringing in business for them. It's been really amazing to hear their stories of getting getting business through their blog. Um, but I want so I want to ask you because you you are still publishing in various other places. You're on JD Supra a lot, and I don't know whether you're just taking the stuff that's already on your blog and putting it on JD Supra, or if that's separate and different content. How do you, in your own mind, balance the various uh, uh, media in which you publish, and, and how do you coordinate what you're going to put where? Yeah, so just like I would re- do 
for a lawyer or a law firm, I have an editorial calendar for myself. And so I tend to publish a lot more frequently on my blog and a lot, um, I guess, shorter content. So I publish maybe once a day on the blog. You know, obviously a best practice is to publish once a week and you shouldn't commit to a blog if you're not really going to do it on a regular basis. I will flesh out a story and then go into more depth in a JD Supra article. I will usually give JD Supra the um, article first if it's a longer article and let them publish it and then I'll repurpose it on my blog. But I keep track of all of this. And then obviously the ones that I give to like the New York Law Journal or Law 360, I will then give a snippet on my blog later on and say, you know, read the full article there because it's always good. It is good to have your stuff published in different places so that because again, like you can't predict how people will find you different strokes for different folks, right? Just like people might like a Facebook live, they might like a podcast better, or they might like to read something. So I think it's good to, um, you know, sort of, um, penetrate the market in different places in different ways. So sometimes I'll also take a snippet of a longer form article and then do a blog post drilling down on something. So I'm a firm believer of reuse and repurpose and then publish often of uh, and repurpose something. So you can certainly take something and expand upon it. So again, the calendar really helps me do that. And I manage and track all of my posts and every lawyer, everybody with a blog should also be doing that. And even if you don't have a blog, anybody who produces content should be doing this. And I also have a separate tab for LinkedIn posts as well, because I also do like a tip of a day or something like that, which are short form posts as well. Yeah. And you're doing video as well. Yeah, I, you know, I dabbled in video a little bit. I need to go back into that. And again, it was something done like just right on my phone and I did an yeah. overlay using Canva. But uh, yeah, you know what? My videos actually did really well because I think people like, and that was during like the height of COVID. Um, I think people wanted human connection. But I think, you know, you have to try a bunch of different things because your audience, you know, it just depends. And I, I actually try out different times of day to post content as well, because, and everything we knew before COVID, I would tell you, like, throw it out the window because there is no bad time to post right now because people are on social, people are, people are everywhere. And I will also say that, you know, I am a huge proponent of LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, everything, but the best way to reach people is email. So Let's blog enables me to also have this e-newsletter every day where people subscribe to my, my, my blog and they get a, a digest that has been terrific to me to see that people actually want to hear what I have to say every day. And, um, I still believe in the power of email as the best way to reach people directly. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that actually raises it. Well, a couple of points there. One is on, on the, when to post. Uh, it's interesting you say there is no right or wrong time now. There's I, a really, but there's the better time to post, which I can tell Which you. is, which is what? Which is still traditional commuting hours in your time zone. So from seven to 10 in the morning and then lunchtime and then four to 8 p.m. 
because people who used to commute now aren't commuting, but they still have downtime um, eating breakfast, lunch, dinner. So they're, they're still a captive audience. People are sitting on their couches at night and they want, you know, to connect, et cetera. The weekend is actually really good because again, first of all, people don't know what day of the week it is. I know I don't sometimes <laughs> I right, get right. up on a Sunday and I'm like, I have a meeting at nine 30. And then I'm like, no, I don't. Cause it's <laughs> not Sunday. Right. right. So I'm finding my posts on the weekends actually do really well. Saturday better than Sunday. So I guess Bob, what I mean is um, there's no, really bad day anymore, but there's better times. I never post anything on a Friday afternoon, right. especially during the summer and Monday mornings are really crappy. So like right. don't post Monday morning. Yeah. No, I, and I'm seeing similar, uh, similar hits on, on my blog. I, I, it used to be that I would try and post something, uh, first thing in the morning. And I still, I still generally post every morning. But um, I've gone. I've gotten a little bit later. It's seeming to me that the, if I post too early, I'm just not getting. I, people are like not getting up early anymore. I feel like, and then like you say, Friday afternoon or something. But what surprised me is I can post something in the evening, which I usually would never have done, and I'll get a lot of pickup on it. Or like you said, the weekend, and I'll and I'll get a lot of pickup on something that I post on the weekend yeah. that never would have happened before. Yeah. By um, the way, people aren't going out as much right. at night. They're home. Right. And so yeah. that's part yeah. of it, right? Because we yeah. have a captive audience for content, which is a blessing for all of us who are trying to engage with audiences. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you, you talked about your new puppy and I, I knew about your new puppy because I was reading your blog and uh, I had read that you also, you had a stomach bug this week. <laughs> You've written about some very personal things on your on your blog. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I wonder, um, how you again? How you draw that line? How you decide what's right to write about, what's maybe not right to write about? Yeah, I mean, listen, I've struggled with what's raw, what, you know, where to draw the line. Um, I'm a pretty open person. Um, I had a really tough personal year, and sometimes I will talk about it, but in the context of motivational kinds of things and moving forward and showing that, you know. You know, I just think so much of social media happens to be like people posting photos of their amazing life and not everything's so amazing. So somebody had actually sent me a note, which I love getting these notes through Lex blog saying, you know, you're I think I posted something about like how to not be it was about your inner critic and like how to stop the your inner critic from really yeah. wrecking havoc on you. Um, and that, that's where I mentioned I had a stomach virus. Yeah, and yeah. What I, no, it was a great post. It was a really good. Yeah, post. thank yeah. you. And the woman who wrote to me said, you know, I really needed to hear this. And she's a successful lawyer, by the way, at a very prominent firm. And I had no idea she was following my blog. And she said, I needed to hear this. It's really nice how real you are. And so, listen, I'm not everyone's cup of tea. You will not be everyone's cup of tea. I don't, I'm not a lawyer. I have, you know, master's degree. Like I am as real as you can get. I am, but I, I know my stuff. And I also, you know, I might not resonate with you and that's okay. Kevin always said to me, I should be myself. I think that especially since COVID, like we are being more authentic, more genuine. I was this way prior to this. I don't work at a firm right now, so I feel even more so that I can be myself. And I, um, I, I don't know, you know, I, I feel like um, 
I am completely professional with everything that I do, but I do like let people peek behind the curtain a little bit. And I think that makes me me and it makes me unique. And I am okay with that, you know? So I think that's part of why people like to follow the blog. And I don't know how many let's blog blogs they have that are like this, probably not many, but um, it's not like I'm going to post like my top five cooking tips, you know, it's still going to be either motivational, um, have something to do with marketing, but there will be probably something in there about, you know, an element of me, um, and take it or leave it. Right. You can read it or not. Yeah. I wish more. Although your Girl Scout cooking tip, your Girl Scout cookie cook, cook, Girl Scout cookie cooking tips are great in the videos. <laughs> I couldn't I even say it. If <laughs> players were more genuine and real, they would be remembered in a crowded marketplace. Again, right. I'm not saying you yeah. should do your top yeah. five Girl Scout cookie tips, right. but just being a little bit different than just standing out from the crowd and finding a way to just be unique yeah. is is a good thing while still being incredibly professional. Yeah, but so so with your consulting head on, how do you translate that to the advice that you give a legal professional or a professional in any other field about blogging? I mean, if I'm writing, you know, if I'm a lawyer at a mid-sized firm writing an intellectual property blog, how much should I be writing about my personal life or my views on politics or something like that? Where, where do right. I draw that line? Okay, so you should never, ever write about politics anywhere, ever, <laughs> especially on social. I was just talking about this with a firm. Um, you know, anything can be screenshotted very bad. You never know on which side of somebody falls. Just better not to talk about politics. So I actually work for a, a few intellectual property boutique firms. And one of the things we talk about is, um, so I have a client who has a son with autism and he volunteers quite a bit with, um, autistic organizations, right? So he is, a he, his son is brilliant. So we talk about different ways that some of the things that he's writing about, you know, in some organizations he can get involved with, um, can be mixed in with some of the things that he's writing, right? So like he'll talk about something like he was inspired by his son and his son's um, classmates or in the camp and they were doing this math project and it got him thinking about X. So that's a subtle way to work in something about your personal life without getting too, you know, too, I guess, personal. Um so that's a way I would say to do it. Or, you know, I'm at the my house in the mountains and blah, blah, blah. It's just like setting the stage a little bit with the way that you write instead of like, you know, on January 12th, the USPTO released guidance on blah, blah, blah. I just wish that there was some more color in the ways that right. things were written, you know, maybe even just starting something off saying, you know, I'm sitting here at, in my, you know, home in the Berkshires and, you know, I started thinking about blank, uh, you know, I'd have to think about it, but Bob, I know that it can be done and it can oh, yeah. still be professional. Yeah. Well, you're preaching to the choir there. I mean, I, I yeah. fully agree with you. I mean, put some put some personality into your writing, make it interesting. You don't have to write like a lawyer just because you are a lawyer. Uh, it's not on a blog anyway. Please don't use defined terms ever. <laughs> Please <laughs> right. don't put things in Footnotes. quotes. 
you know, I, I, hate I had a client say to me, we just want you to post this on social media. We don't want you to edit. We like double spaces between sentences. We might even use three. We don't want you to remove any of our quotation marks or also our footnotes and all this stuff. And I was like, okay. And they're like, you're not to edit anything. Uh, okay, I guess. But, you know, if you really want to tap into my expertise, you'll let me edit it. Yeah. Uh, so so let me uh, maybe put you on the spot a little bit, because you're, you're talking about the fact that you should let some of your personality come through in your posts, let some of who you are come through in your posts. Um, but you also offer as a service writing blog posts for other professionals, right? And you do write blog posts for other professionals. So how do you square that idea of of having a blog be a reflection of who you are and then having somebody else write the post? Well, I mean, you get to know the person, right? So obviously the IP lawyer with whom I work, I've spent lots of time with him and I know him as a person. I, I've you know spent hours with him. Um, every post and every you know, behind every post, there's a person and talking to them about their business goals, talking to them about what they want to be doing, who they are. Um, before I start writing posts, I also like to do other things with them, like write their bio and redo their LinkedIn profile. And that's a great way to get to know somebody. So I think you can only really write for someone when you understand their language and understand who they are as a person. So I think you absolutely can do it, but you need some background info. Like I couldn't write a post for you with right away. And I also would do my background research. I would read everything I could about you. I would read everything that you wrote. But if you were a lawyer who wrote typical blog posts for a typical law firm, I probably wouldn't be able to find out much more about you. Like I'd have to get to know you. And that's the key. You know, you just can't hire somebody and say, write for me. You need to really get to know that person in some way to just uncover those nuggets. You know, even like, finding out like something about them from law school or, you know, something about their form, you know, a lot of IP lawyers, for example, had other careers, right? Like they were chemists or whatever it is. Like those can be worked into somehow a a blog post to just make it memorable. And that's all I'm saying because it's a crowded market and you want to be remembered. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a good approach. I mean, I, I, there are also lawyers out there who are hiring people to write their blog post. I'm not even sure the lawyers know somebody's writing blog posts for them. And so at some firms, I think that the marketing part part department has uh, brought somebody in and I'm, you know, we sometimes wonder whether the lawyers are even reviewing some of these things you see up there. Yeah. Or they're just regurgitations of the law and they're, you know, there's no insight. And and right. I think that's one of the big mistakes I see a lot of people make. Like, I have no problem going back to a lawyer and say, listen, this is a great recap of what happened. But what do you think it means? You know, answer that question. And then that first paragraph has to be very powerful. And that last paragraph must say, what does this mean for your clients? What are the challenges going ahead? And that's really it. And I say short is better because so many people feel very, I guess, you know, overwhelmed by the idea of writing a blog post. You know, this isn't the yeah. Great Recession when we were writing 2,000 word articles about Dodd-Frank and related issues uh, in the aftermath. This is now a time when everyone, irrespective of their age, is on their mobile and they want short content, digestible content. And and the other thing I will say, and I don't know if, if you guys have seen this too, is um, 
I like content that is broken down with subheaders, you know, like so that short paragraph really lets me know where I'm going so I can skim because most people skim. So that's the other thing I do a lot are bulleted lists or numbered lists, those sorts of things. And when I tell lawyers that, I think they feel a little bit like that, that seems more achievable than writing like a book, you know, about something. So I think- it's writing it visually. It's writing visually in a way. It's, yeah, giving, it's writing, giving the reader visual cues as to how to move around a piece. Yeah, and I always do that. And I always have in my post like five simple things or things you need to know about, you know, just trying to make it as easy as possible for someone to find that one thing that they can resonate with as they read it. Yeah, that's good advice. Um, what about writing during a pandemic. <laughs> How has what we're going through changed what uh, uh, what our approach should be, not just to blogging, but maybe to social media more broadly even? Yeah, I mean, so many things. You know, at the height of the pandemic, I actually took a look to see how many alerts were coming out of firms per day. And there were some firms that were pushing out like six alerts on COVID-related topics. And they were doing them individually, which was a huge mistake. And, Bob, they were using the COVID cell structure. And there were not that many stock images, right? Guilty, guilty. (laughs) Yes. Okay, so most firms were using the same image. I pulled three. It was Sullivan and Cromwell, MoFo, and one other firm in the same day used it was in black and red which is like the worst like thing you can have because it looks like death right it was like it was like uh the red cell structure with the spikes coming out of it and it was like all over and i was like okay this is alarmist this is not what a lawyer should be should be conveying, right? I want to think of my lawyer as the calm in the storm, someone who's going to help me navigate thorny waters and get me to a better place. Okay. So one thing I would, I was recommending to firms is to bucket all of your content into one post with separate links. So, you know, um, the firm published, you know, alerts on COVID related topics, um, labor and employment, you know, litigation, corporate, whatever it was, and then have one post and then do a visual that encompassed them. Because I felt like it was content saturation and overload and people were like, you know, and then there was like on every law firm website, I counted them. I think there were 30 some, 32 COVID-19 resource centers, exactly named like that. Okay. On law firm, big law firm, small law firm, mid-sized firms and accounting firms. And I was like, okay, you guys like, this isn't going to help your SEO. Right. They all have the same thing. (laughs) Yeah. And so the other thing I was, you know, so, and then these, not only were these alerts being posted to social, but they were being emailed out. And I was one hoping that they were segmenting their list because if they're blanketing everyone with these alerts, people were like, oh gosh, this is a lot of stuff, right? So I think there was an alarmist culture going on. And I think people were so, the firms were nervous and the lawyers were nervous. So they were producing content because they were feeling like, I got to do something. I don't know what's happening, but let me do something. I'm going to write, right? That's what we do. We do something. I think that's calmed down, Bob, but I do think that right now, the forward-looking posts are what's most helpful, right? What is this world going to look like? Who the heck knows? But let's talk about, like, in litigation, I could think of 10 topics in bankruptcy, Um, you know, CARES Act fraud, um, mortgage-related fraud is going to be a huge issue 
bankruptcies, obviously, labor and employment issues related to working from home, you know, a whole host of issues. So, you know, there's a plethora of things one could write about. So thinking of the future and how do you help your clients navigate this going forward um, and what do you bring to the table by extension is where you should be right now. Yeah, that makes sense. And then don't be tone deaf. You know, obviously don't be tone deaf. Um, Put your clients first and be helpful with everything that you write and, you know, really get at your clients' pain points. What are they saying to you? That they, what, like, what questions keep coming up? Keep a list of those. What are they asking you? And what are they worried about? That's what you should be writing about. Yeah. You know, I haven't seen too much of a problem with firms being tone deaf during this. But what I have seen, is, especially in the early days of, of the pandemic, and I think I saw you mention something about this on your blog, is, is the problem of firms that have kind of auto or scheduled posts on social media yeah. that, that things go up that have no relation to the world at that moment. And they look really, they look tone deaf. You know, they might not have been when they were written or when they were scheduled, but at the point that they go up, they look tone deaf. I did actually. So I saw those. I actually did see some tone deaf posts like, you know, winning certain awards at the height of things when, for example, it was, you know, COVID wasn't as, you know, big in certain areas. But like in New York, it was an absolute disaster. It wasn't appropriate to post that your firm had won X awards or you had this many rising stars. That to me seemed like it could wait or you know, I saw a couple big firms post big deals that they had, you know, oh, we just closed this major merger X, you know, that's millions of dollars that could have waited, in my opinion, until yeah. the curve had right. flattened. And I'm yeah. talking about late March and April. It wasn't appropriate, in my opinion, to do those posts. Yeah, you're uh Judging by how often you write about LinkedIn, I take it you're a big LinkedIn person. Uh, How do you um, what's what's your advice to a professional about how to kind of create the connection between their blog and LinkedIn and how to balance, again, what they're doing on LinkedIn, what they're doing on their blog? Yeah, you know, I struggled with this for a little while myself. Um, Everybody who is on LinkedIn, which should be everybody, should be. promoting their blog posts on LinkedIn, right? So, you know, a lot of us don't have as many blog followers as we do LinkedIn connections. So what do you do? You take your blog post, you write a short little synopsis and you post it on LinkedIn. That's what you do. And you find the right hashtags. The most important thing you can do, you know, on obviously this has been happening on Twitter for years, but hashtags are so important on LinkedIn to help your content get discovered. The other, so you, you, what you do is to find the right hashtags. You know, LinkedIn sometimes will suggest hashtags. They aren't always the right ones. You have to use, you know, your old, you got to use the search bar and search for hashtags and hashtags with too many followers are bad and too few followers are bad too. And the hashtag shouldn't just be based on the content. It needs to, you need to look at the followers. So for example, like I wrote a post on LinkedIn, I'll always use hashtag LinkedIn, but then I'll use a few others like LinkedIn tips, LinkedIn expert, LinkedIn learning. I won't, those have a good number of followers. I won't 
I won't use like other ones like that I make up. You can't just make them up in a vacuum. You actually have to research them. So it's important. And LinkedIn just changed its algorithm. So it used to penalize you for using more than five. And now actually you should use more than five. So between five and 10 and put them at the end. The other thing I will say when it comes to LinkedIn is the more connections you have, the more people will see your posts. Okay, so everyone wants to get to that coveted 501 connections. When you're under 500, it will put the number of actual connections you have. When you're over 500, it says 500 plus. I know everybody who's listening here and every business professional knows more than 500 people on LinkedIn. Bob, since the pandemic, the number of people on LinkedIn has gone up over 100 million people. So we're now at 710 million people around the globe. If you guys don't know 501 people, I don't know what to say. So um, <laughs> the more connections you have, the better your chances are that people will see it. Because then the second degree connections and the third degree connections see it. My yeah. final thing on LinkedIn, post your blog posts to groups. So lawyers... I know have been getting business through LinkedIn groups and I actually have gotten a new client through LinkedIn groups. So this is where you post a blog post in one of the groups to find the right groups. Again, it's just searching, but um, you can really make a difference there. Groups have exploded again since COVID because people are wanting to network and meet other individuals who are business professionals. Yeah. Um, in a related question, I'm, I, I'm a mid-sized law firm that's been, uh, you know, stuck in the 1960s or something. I have no social media strategy. I have no content strategy. I hire you. You come in. When, when do you start talking about a blog as part of that strategy? I mean, where, where are you looking first and, and where, do blog, where does blogging fit within your priorities for developing a social media strategy? So it's pretty high up there, but I would first need to find out the, the practice focuses, right? Because you need to figure out for, you need to figure out which are the practices that are the most important, because I think those are the ones where you'd want to focus on blogging and then which of the lawyers are actually going to be committed to do it. I have launched blogs and then I have had commitments and then people haven't written them, but content is important and having a place to house the content is incredibly important. So blogs are incredibly important to firms, especially mid-sized and small firms that don't necessarily get into the press a lot and don't have the media mentions. Like I, this is owned media, the content you're creating yourself that you're getting out there. And the thing is most blogs don't have a ton of followers or subscribers. It's up to you, the firm and the lawyers to push out the blog out there and to get people to follow the blog with a combination of email and a combination of social. So I would say it would be within the first month that we would say, which are the practices that we think the lawyers are the most committed to a blog and where we really feel like we can make an impact. Like, you know, obviously you want to look at the market, right? Is there a saturation of blogs that are exactly the same? And if so, what can we do that's a little different? Like, for example, an intellectual property, can we do it something like a tech spin or entrepreneurs or if maybe we're a New England firm, can we do a New England intellectual property blog? Something like that. Find a differentiator. We need to do our research first, and then we should start writing and get people on board, get people excited. The associates can be such great 
ambassadors for this in terms of like having them partner up with a senior lawyer and having them get bylines, that sort of thing. But I think this happens very early on and you want a repository in a place to really house all of your content like this. Yeah. Um, I've been asking you all the questions, but what, what, what's your advice? What, what, what are you thinking about when you talk to a, a firm about blogs? Uh, what, what, what's top of mind for you? Yeah, I mean, so top of mind to me is basically the stuff I just said, but like, where can you really make an impact? Yeah. What do your clients care about? I am, I always ask people to like make me a list of what resonates the most with their clients and what was gonna what would be different here. I need the commitment from them that they're going to write. I mean, like I write more than most people, and I write fast. I mean, that's the difference. Like people you write say, a lot. <laughs> I do. People say, "Why do you have so Same many way. posts?" Um, I just write a lot and frequently and it's easy for me. I don't expect that from anybody else. I think it is incredibly important for thought leadership to be out there. It helps with credentialing. It helps with brand building. It helps with relationships. It helps, it helps with business development. I mean, it, it helps with everything. I'll tell you, you know, really quick story. One of my clients was asked to speak on a CLE program because he has, a bit like a lot of client alerts. And I said to him, you should have a blog because if you did, it would be so much easier for people to find all of this, archive all of this. And then, you know, you could do a five takeaways from every blog of every CLE that you ever do. Like it just, it makes it easier to find you. So um, for those lawyers who are frustrated about not being in the press, who feel like all the big 10 top, you know, top 20 firms are always out there. A blog is a way for you to carve a niche for yourself and for you to build your brand. And it will lead to new business, no doubt. So it's worked for me and I'm happy to talk to anybody about how it's helped me. And I was doing this before I was even having my own business. I was doing this when I was in a house. So, you know, and it's never too late to start. That's the beauty about this. So keep an archive of everything you've written. The other thing you can do is update old articles, which I do all the time. And it's a new piece of content. So think about doing that. Um, so, you know, listen, we are not going to be networking in person anytime soon. We're not going to be doing any of the things we were doing. We've got to rely on thought leadership more than we've ever had to before. If you were ever thinking about writing, now is the time. And if you're nervous about doing it on your own, get a buddy, get a colleague, get a client, get an associate to help you do it, but do it. It's worth it. Yeah. And like you say, that's online is where everybody is right now. Uh, so if you want to be where the clients are, that's where they are. Well, Stephanie, it's been a real pleasure to uh, get this chance to talk to you about blogging and social media and uh, and other stuff and uh, to meet Lucy as well. Was it Lucy? Did I get the name right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Lucy and she's as well. been sleeping the whole time. So That's she's amazing. Gonna at me again, but look, there she is. She's so mad. <laughs> Take her out for a walk. Happy. Thanks for having me. <laughs> She's not happy right now. She's just going to put that. Okay. So, if Stephanie. If anyone has any tips on housebreaking, please send me a note on social media because this one, not going well. <laughs> we'll be watching for your blog post on yeah. housebreaking.
So we've been talking with Stephanie Marone, a publisher of The Social Media Butterfly. And uh, I love the name. I love the blog. Thank we Kevin. Be, <laughs> thank <Austin>. God. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and uh, we will be back next week, as I said, with Jeff Nowak, who writes the FMLA Insights blog. You can find all of these at youtube.com slash lexblog. That's it for this week. Thanks to everybody for uh, tuning in. This is Bob Ambrogi, and this has been This Week in Legal Blogging. Thanks.